0: Grab your Bibles, Psalm, Psalm fifty-two, and so we are in our series uh, through the life of David. And when we have a Psalm where we know it was, we're going to stop and we're going to consider uh, consider that Psalm and consider uh, the t- um, what is going on. That actually gives us an incredible. Um, insight into all that's going on there in the life of David because a lot of times we have the historical account okay in the book of 1st Samuel in the book of 2nd Samuel maybe in the book of Esther and we can say maybe this is what they were thinking right okay maybe this is what they were what was going on in the Psalms we can say no this is what they were thinking this is what was going on And so, um, by by being able to match it up, God God hasn't given us every psalm and all of that, but there are times that we can uh, match it up, that we can see um, what's going on and see what's going on in David's heart. And so, just to uh, set the context, uh, the heading of the psalm there is a psalm of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. And so, uh, this is where we finished up there in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David has already come through a him, uh, come to the priest. That's where he got Goliath's sword. That's where he got the showbread. He went to Gath. He came back. But in, as he gets back, he's at the cave of Abdullam. Abiathar the priest shows up and begins to tell him saying, this is what happened. Remember Doeg the Edomite was there and when you, when you were there, um, uh, when you showed up to Ahimelech and you got the sword, Doeg the Enomite was waiting there. He was detained before the Lord. We'll cover some of that. But then he begins to, um, Doeg goes through what's going on. He uh, reports everything to Saul and tells him um, in, in not so nice terms everything that happens. And then ends up murdering all the priests. And we've been over some of that. But this is David's response. Okay, this is David's response and he says in verse number one, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than speaking righteousness. Selah. Anytime you see the word Selah there in the Psalms, it basically means this. Okay, stop. Think about this. It's a a point of uh, consideration, all right? Then he says, Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall, shall see... And fear, and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever, because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. The title tonight is simply this, Dealing with Wicked Men. Dealing with Wicked Men. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you. Lord, I just ask for your help tonight. Lord, I ask that you would speak through your word. I pray for grace. Lord, I pray that you would give strength, and that we would learn of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do live in wicked times. Uh, maybe we are a little bit more aware of it in our times because of the prevalence of media and the prevalence of uh, social media. You go back a 100 years ago, you didn't have the TV on all the time with all the headlines. Uh, there was the newspaper that came, and that was the headlines pretty much of that area. There wasn't the... Um, knowledge of what was going on in Sweden yesterday and what was going on over here, there was uh, there wasn't as much information, and sometimes that's not a good thing, and sometimes that's a very good thing. When you uh, you don't, there's some things we just don't need to know about, all right? And there's the uh, the, the statement in uh, media and that thing. If it bleeds, it leads, is the statement that has been used. If it's something that's nasty, if it's something that's horrible, that's what makes the headlines. And so we live in times where there's a lot of headlines that aren't very good. And uh, uh, we've seen just uh, times waxing worse, as God's word said it would. But they shall wax worse and worse. Um, But even just reading history, if you go through history and begin thinking about, well, what was it really like in the 60s, where there was riots and people being shot in the streets and uh, things being burned down then? And we can look at today, you know what? Some, in some areas, it's not as bad as it was back then, and we ha- do have to set things in perspective. But in everything we look at, we can see this there are evil men and women, there are evil people everywhere we go. Uh, people who seem to get pleasure out of doing wrong things. Okay? And it doesn't have to be something vile and something wicked to have people who just enjoy making other people uncomfortable just enjoy making other people suffer and just embarrassing someone maybe just humiliating someone it doesn't have to be a pedophile or a pervert to be something where there's just wrong things going on in our society the level of rudeness in our society uh, there, there just seems, okay, you want to talk about driving? There just seems to be people who enjoy cutting other people off, okay, who get pleasure out of uh, making other people step on their brakes or whatever it happens to be. There, um, there is things all of around, all around us that are just troubling, that are hurtful, that are plain wrong, that we're going to deal with. It doesn't have to be someone trying to murder us, like David had here in the story of Doeg uh, Doeg the Edomite. But we can learn from how David dealt with this. We need to learn from what David says here. Because remember, this is a prayer of David. It is a song, but the Psalms are also prayers of David. And so we get to see someone who had a heart after God, How they responded to a situation where they were being wronged, where other people were doing evil things to them. Before David writes this psalm, he has received the news of the wicked words and the evil deeds done by Doeg, one of Saul's servants. All right, remember David was on his way to Gath, he had stopped, he asked for help, not for counsel from the priests. He said, give me a sword, give me some food, I need to be on my way, I'm running from Saul, he's trying to kill me. He didn't tell the priest all that, he said, I'm on business from Saul. I'm on the king's business, you need to help me speedily, this needs to be a secret mission, please help me. He was out of God's will, he was not behaving himself wisely, right? David was living by fear, not by faith, just going back, getting some of the review there. But while David was there at Nob, at the city of the priest, and I didn't quite realize this until I was studying um, this psalm, but many people believe that Nob uh, would have been located on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Right outside the city of Jerusalem, that there, um, it was called the Mount of Olives, because there was olive groves that were there. And there in that beautiful um, um, area there was where the tabernacle was. This is where David could have sought the presence of God, But David was too busy trying to get out of there, trying to get on his way. But while he was there at Nob, there was Doeg, who was um, detained before the Lord. Now, Doeg, the Bible tells us, he was the chief herdsman of Saul, all right? But he was also this, he was an Edomite. Now, how many know what Edomite actually means? This isn't a history quiz, okay? This is one of the reasons we're going through it. It means he was a descendant of Esau. An Edomite was a descendant of Esau of Jacob's half-brother. Or not half-brother, Jacob's twin brother. Let me get that out right. Uh, Esau, Jacob's twin brother, the descendants of Esau were known as the Edomites. They were closely related to the people of God, to the nation of Israel. They lived right there beside them but they were not the friends of the people of God. In fact, every time there was a battle, every time there was a war, the Edomites aligned themselves with the enemies of God. Uh, remember, um, when the, there was the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, Israel tried to pass through east, um, the Edomites' border, through the borders of Edom there, and they said, we'll pay for the water, we'll just stay on the king's highway, and the Edomites said, Nope, you got to go through the desert. If you try to come through our land, we're going to come out and we're going to fight with you. And so they made them go the whole way, the long way around. And then uh, different times when Israel was out of the will of God and there was nations attacking them, the Edomites would be there to pick off the stragglers. If anybody escaped, the Edomites would get them and they would hand them over to the people who were trying to capture them and would always be on the side that was assisting the enemies of the people of God. Um, they weren't people who were very friendly, okay? These were not people say, yeah, th- those are good people. They did not worship God. They worship idols. They were a constant snare. They were a constant hindrance. And somehow, Doeg, this Edomite, had risen to the rank of chief herdsman. Okay? He was one of the chief of the herdsmen of Saul. In that day, cattle was money. Okay? He was a financial planner for Saul. He was in charge of uh, a good portion of the resources of the kingdom of Saul. So this was an important official role. He had a governmental office there, and Doeg wasn't just out in the fields, because when Saul began to whine and complain, who was standing right there with the other soldiers? Doeg was. He was... Uh, not just a worker, but he was someone who was over the workers. He was the chief that was there. He had been detained before the Lord, so that he, which meant he wasn't on the right side of God. There was something that had to be dealt with there, and if he was detained before the Lord, there was problems. He was not on the right side of the law of God. So already we have somebody who probably is not going to be a spiritual help to Saul, but is taking advantage of the situation and is uh, currying favor. And here he is as, as um, Saul is there. We read that last week. Saul is saying, isn't there anybody who loves me? Isn't there, remember that, isn't there anybody who cares about me? There's all these people, everybody's trying to um, um, usurp me. There's all these intrigue plans against me. My son's conspiring against me. David's conspiring against me. You all are conspiring against me. That's what Saul was saying. You talk about a self-centered man. That, that's who Saul was. He was saying, everybody's against me. Why isn't anybody helping me? Uh, this dangerous David is out trying to kill me now was any of this true no it was all in the imagination of Saul because he was not serving God because he was resisting the will of God and so the will of God now seemed to be a problem with Saul Um, who was responsible for the intrigue? it was Saul Uh, one commentator said there's been by this point there's been 16 attempts on David's life by Saul not the other way around and so but here Saul saying isn't there anybody who wants to serve me isn't there anybody who's on my side and he begins to say I can do this for you and offer all these rewards and Doeg goes that's me his ears perk up he goes this is an opportunity to um, facilitate Saul this is the opportunity to get what I want out of Saul and to begin to um, help him out here and begins to curry that favor and ingratiate himself to Saul. And he begins to tell Saul, David was with Ahimelech the priests. And here's what he said. Um, I'm going to read, just quote it for you. I have it in my notes here from 1 Samuel 22. Um... Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Atub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals uh, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, did Ahimelech give David, give David Goliath's sword? He did. Did Ahimelech give David the showbread? He did. But did you read that with me the way Doeg was saying this? David was there. You want to talk about intrigue? You want to talk about plotting and planning? When David showed up, Ahimelech was waiting there with supplies and was waiting there with weapons, the best weapons that we could find, what should have been uh, um, uh, relics of victories of you, Saul. He's taking and he's giving them to David to use in his plans against you. Can you, can you hear how he's twisting and how he's, he's giving some of the facts, but he's giving it in a light that's very detrimental? He's saying true things in an untruthful way. Is that a good way to put it? He's saying truthful things in an untruthful way. He's describing the events as if the priest were participating and assisting David in a coup. They're they're preparing their King Saul. Uh, They're getting things ready. Now, David was not plotting against Saul. David was not trying to gain friends or a following. David, at this point, is running for his life. But Doeg is painting a masterpiece of wordsmithing here. Um, as of the plotting rebel about to overthrow the throne. And if you don't do something quickly, Saul, if I hadn't reported this to you, Saul, there's no telling where the damage could go. And fueled by the malicious lying tongue of Doeg, Saul orders the arrest. He orders the execution of all the priests. Saul um, commands his soldiers, these are worthy of death. I'm going to, here's what Saul's saying, I'm going to execute justice because they're siding with the rebel. And they, Saul's soldiers goes, we're, we're not doing that. Those are the priests of God. We're not doing that. And so Saul turns to Doeg, and Doeg goes, yes, my liege. Right. He, I mean, he pours it on thick, and he goes, after it, he even goes beyond the commands of Saul. He murders 85 priests, because it says 85 men, that wore the, uh, those that wore the linen ephod. The women didn't wear that. That was just the men. There were 85 priests there, then it says he murders all the women, all the children, all the old men, every animal, burns the city to the ground. And he's doing this in the name of justice because they were conspiring against King Saul in their own minds. He's saying this is good and right because we're executing justice. How do you get that twisted? How do you get how do you get there? Well, we have plenty of people today who've gotten there who call evil good, who call evil wrong. Um, who call evil good and good evil and um, in the name of justice are seeking in the name of uh, reparations in the name of fair play in the name of social justice in the name of um, equality we're going to Um, remove things from other people Okay, in a political sense yes we're seeing that in our society and there's plenty of people also who well they don't deserve this they don't deserve that whatever they're going to happen to do are willing to justify wrong actions for their own purposes there's nothing new uh, um, Solomon would say there's nothing new under the sun Men have been justifying their wickedness since the days of Cain. Since Adam and Eve, a man has had excuses for why they are wicked and why they are doing what they're going to do. So how do we deal with evil men? David just had his 400 men um, coming together. Abiathar was there with him. He had evidence of this atrocity. Was not this an atrocity? I mean, you talk about war crimes. I mean, this was exhibit A. But we don't see David saying, men, gird on your swords, we got to go avenge our friends. We don't see David saying, we need to fight fire with fire. We see David praying. We see David taking this and giving it to the Lord. A First he begins to say, why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? And this, is, this, is almost, this is really in a condescending tone of voice. Doeg's actions were evil and they were cowardly. He attacked priests who were unarmed. He attacked women and children. There wasn't a sword there in the city. The only sword in the whole city was the sword that David took with him, Goliath's sword. There was no weapons there. There was no protection there. And yet, that's what Doeg attacked. And yet, he is boasting of himself like he is celebrating this massacre like he's one of David's mighty men. Uh, Last week, we read some of the um, excerpts of the abilities and the accomplishments and the the, uh, war... Um, accomplishments there of David's mighty men, how they stood and they defended the ground and they um, fought for Israel and they saved lives and they were willing to fight. And Doeg is putting his accomplishments up there on the board of honor saying, look what I've done. He's, um, the idea of Boast there is to celebrate um, with arrogance. He is celebrating killing innocent people. He is celebrating what a coward could do. And David's saying, why are you celebrating this? Why are you acting like you're some great mighty person? Why are you taking pleasure in your evil deeds? Then he begins to to describe Doeg. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs. And remember this. He's praying. This he's he's talking about Doeg, but this is addressed to God. God, look what this man is doing. His his tongue deviseth or plans and plots. Mischief, things that are evil, things that are wrong, things that are destructive. It's like a sharp razor working deceitfully. The idea, um, some people pointed out, would be like a a wicked barber who was shaving and then could slit somebody's throat before they even realized what was going on, that it was sharp, but it it wasn't all that it seemed to be. He was going undercover. He was going underhand. He was uh, trying to deceive and destroy He was killing the unsuspecting. That's the idea there. And it says, thou lovest evil more than good. Is not that a description of our world today? Thou lovest evil more than good. There's not a desire for what is good. There's not a desire for what is righteous but rather for what pleases me, for what's going to advance me. That's why Doeg did this. He was trying to uh, buck up in rank there with King Saul. He was trying to uh, get to that higher place where he would be the trusted confidant of the king there of Israel. And he was doing whatever was necessary. It says there, lying rather than speak righteousness. Thou lovest all devouring words, O oh thou deceitful tongue. That which destroys. Okay, the um, the old adage is sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never touch me. That is a lie. It has always been a lie that it is things that are said that can be the most hurtful, that can be the most uh, destructive. And here Doeg is tearing down David. He's tearing down the priest, saying they're plotting against Saul when they would have, if Saul had asked, they would have said, No, Saul, this is what you need to do to get right with God. And rather than seeking God through the priest, he has them murdered. Uh, Talk about devouring words, that which consumes, that which destroys. And he couldn't stop. He just wouldn't stop. He he loves this. He's continuing in this. David is saying, who is this mighty man? There's wickedness. There's treachery. There's evil. But in verse number five, David stops focusing on Doeg. David stops listing all the wrong things of Doag, and David turns his attention to God and to God's power. Verse number five, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away, and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living Selah. David saying, Doag, you think you're so mighty. You think no one's going to stop you. You think nobody's paying attention. But God's going to take care of you. God's going to destroy you. God's going to take thee away. He's going to snatch thee. He's going to pluck. The idea is to rip, to shred away, or to, to tear down. So Doeg is building his sandcastles in the sky. I'm going to reach my greatness. I'm going to uh, uh, build myself up. I'm going to reach higher accomplishments through what I'm doing. And David's praying, God, I know you're going to tear this down. What he thinks he's going to get out of this isn't going to be what he gets out of this. And the other, Then he says he's going to root thee out of the land of the living. Well, land of the living is this life. But the idea there also of root out is David saying... God's not just going to remove you. He's going to deal with the roots of the situation. If you've ever tried to, tried to do weeding, you've learned this. If you don't get the roots, it just comes right back. And if you and if those weed trees that grow up. Oh. I hate those things. Okay? And there's some that have been on the church property for far too long. And what what has happened is, okay, we just need to get rid of it today. We'll just cut the top off, and now the thing is that big around that I'd have to dig out the foundation of the church to get rid of it. Slight hyperbole, okay? But it's like, what am I going to do to get rid of this? And it's going to come back next year, and it's going to come back next year, and it's going to come back next year? David's saying... I know God's going to deal with the problem completely. And when God deals with the problem, there's going to be nothing left. There's going to be no remnant. There's not going to be any, well, I'll just pop up over here. No, when God's judgment comes, it is complete. When God's judgment comes, it is justice. When God's judgment comes, it is going to deal with the problem. says, David's praying. He says, God, I know when you deal with this, it's, it's going to be final. That you're going to take care of this. And verse number one, is, as Doeg there is boasting of his accomplishments, says, why boastest thou thyself in mischief, almighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. There's a whole psalm, Psalm 136, where every verse ends with, for thy mercy endureth forever. What the wicked is doing and what the wicked do cannot change who God is. Cannot change his character. Cannot change his goodness and his grace. The word there, hesed, the Hebrew word there, um, with goodness, and then also in verse number 8 where it says, I will trust in the mercy of God forever. It's the same Hebrew word. It's a word that's used throughout all of your Bible. It's this, it, it has both translations. The It has both meanings. Goodness, mercy. It deals with this. The covenant faithfulness of God. That because of who God is in his character, when God makes a promise, because it's not going to change. That no matter if the world turns upside down because of God's character, His promises don't change. Who God is as a person doesn't change because God is, this is built on the promises and the character of God. He's saying, Doeg, you can do what you want, but God's goodness is still in place. It still continues. Even though there's great hurt, Those who are wicked can accomplish great problems in this world. And many innocent people are going to suffer. It's always the innocent people that suffer. But Doeg would only be evil for so long. God is eternal. Think about that. God is eternal. His goodness is still there. Doeg might might live... Seventy years at the most. Eighty years. But when Doag dies and moves on, God is still going to be present. And his mercy and his goodness is still going to be changed. And then David says, uh, verse number six, we didn't really deal with this. The righteous shall also see and fear and shall laugh at him. Now the idea isn't that David and his friends are going to sit, sit around and go, nah, 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 you should... You should. Yeah, you got what you deserved. Oh, this is so exciting! Rather, they're gonna—the idea of laugh at—is this? Did you really think you were gonna get away with that? Did you really think that God wasn't paying attention? Man, you had your your sandcastles built in your mind there. Man, you had it all set up. Man, you had it planned well, but. Who got the last laugh? It it didn't work out the way you thought it did, did it? Uh, God was still in control here. God worked it out. This is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Oh, I don't need God. Oh, I can get this. It doesn't work out. There isn't, uh, it doesn't ever turn out the way the wicked says. This world never gives what it promises we don't know the end of Doeg but this is the last time he's mentioned he wasn't even important enough to be mentioned later in the Bible we don't know his end but we do know this God dealt with Doeg and David says but I am like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord now why would David call himself a green olive tree? Now, maybe it was because the city of Nob, there was olive trees all around, that came to mind. But olive trees are some of the longest living trees in all of the world. There are tree, olive trees right now that they say date over 4,000 years. And they're still producing olives. Maybe not as much as they did in their uh, first 2,000 years. Just think about that for a second. But they're still producing olives. They say this, you can cut an olive tree off at the stump, and if it's watered correctly, a green shoot could come out and where the old tree was, the, uh, the, the roots still have life and will simply regrow the tree. And he'll just come right back. David saying, I know this. The end of the righteous is different than the end of the wicked. Where the, end of the, where the wicked are going to be destroyed, they're going to be rooted out. They're going to be rooted out of the land of the living. There is something in the righteous that lasts longer than even life. Isn't it true that the Messiah is the seed of David? And is going to rule forever from the throne of David, and that really God God promised later in David's life. Your line's not going to end, and that the, through thee all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And all of that was going to uh, all of those promises have come to pass and will come to pass in the future. There are still promises that God made to David that have not come to pass yet. Four thousand years later. It'd be something that would continue. It'd be something that would be steadfast, full of life, bringing fruit, bringing blessing to others. David reminded himself and us that there's blessings instead of judgment of those who will trust in God instead of themselves. Those who will be faithful to God are going to continue. I will trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. By the way, you can trust in the mercy of God forever and ever because God's mercy endureth. Forever and ever. He says, I will praise thee forever for because thou hast done it. David's saying, I'm not gonna have to do it. I know that in your time you're gonna take care of it. And I'm gonna be able to rejoice because you accomplished this judgment. And it wasn't my hand, it wasn't my accomplishments. You took care of it. David was unmoved. He said, I'm like a green olive tree, I'm planted. I'm steadfast. Yes, I weep over the wrongs that were done. Yes, it grieves me, those who suffered. But I'm not going to be moved by the wicked deeds and words of my enemy because I can trust in God's judgment and I can trust in God's enduring faithfulness. God's faithful and God's judgment will come in time. There's, many, uh, there's some in this room who would have remember the stories of when you were growing up, of the USSR, right? And how the big problem Russia is going to rule the world, and there's, they said their soldiers are so much stronger than us, and they have so much better technology. There are people saying that, and there were other people saying, oh, "Well, it'll be better red than dead." Was one of the catchphrases of the 70s and of the, uh, the 80s in that time. And man, it's, it, this is going to be rough. Man, they're, they're stronger than us. And uh, the USSR was imprisoning pastors and those who wanted to preach uh, the gospel. I know missionaries who parents, both of them, were in the Russian gulags and were in the prisons of that nature. But it didn't last. That Berlin Wall did come down. And there were many innocent people that did suffer and there was many problems that were there. But it did come down and God did defeat the planning and the thinking of that. Listen, there are many wrong situations and even wicked people that we face in our world today. We could think about things in a political and in that um, sense in our country, there are those Who have literally in our street, in the streets of New York City and around the country, have chanted in the last month, uh, "We're queer, we're here, we're coming for your kids." In our society, there are politicians and celebrities who have attacked the Bible, attacked the truth. What are we supposed to do with with that? Um, How are we supposed to respond? There are other situations that are much closer to home. It might be a family member who does not believe in the gospel, who does not believe in God, or um, um, just maybe says they do whatever it happens to be, but just loves to twist the knife, just loves to make life miserable, just seems to enjoy making it difficult. It could be a neighbor. could be a coworker. worker there's, there's people in our, in our world today that just enjoy making life miserable, that do wrong in the name of justice. And there's situations in each of our minds that we could begin to think about. Well, what what about this? What are we supposed to do about this? Well, you can be unmoved by the wicked words and deeds of the enemies, by the enemies of God, when we trust in God's judgment and trust in God's enduring faithfulness. See, number one, David prayed, that's a good thing to do. He prayed, but here's what he prayed. He said, I'm going to trust in the righteous, complete judgment of God. I'm going to trust that God sees what's going on and that God is going to complete, keep, that God keeps perfect record books, which he does. If God knows where we are, he knows every thought and intent of the heart, he knows what the wicked are doing, and God has promised, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God has promised, and even in our text, God's going to root out. When God is done with the wicked, there's going to be nothing left. When God is done with those who stand against Him, it is going to be a complete destruction. We should not rejoice in the judgment of the wicked, but we can trust in God's faithful justice. Number two, as we said, trust in the enduring covenant faithfulness of God. He has promised, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. If we are his child, he has promised that I am with thee, I I know who you are, I know the hairs that are on your head, I know the suffering that is going on, I know the wrongs that you're facing, I know what's going on, and I'm still good. Never forget that God is good. What is faith? Without faith it is impossible to please God. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Must believe that God is and that God is good. We can look at our world and say, you're boasting about things that are evil. Where is God in this? Notice again, he still, God's goodness endureth forever forever. It is continual every day. We have to remember that even as we're seeing things that we might not understand, even as we're seeing things that hurt innocent people, God is still on his throne. God is still good. And the last thing David did is says, I will praise thee forever for thou hast, because thou hast done it and I will wait on thy name. He says, I'm going to trust and wait for God to do it. It would be a short time later that Saul would enter the cave where David was hiding from Saul by himself. And David would have, his men were saying, David, God's given you the opportunity. He's delivered your enemy into your hands. David, you're going to be able to take out Saul right now. And David says, I can't do this. I'm not going to justify wrong. I'm not going to do wrong in the name of justice. I'm going to wait on God. Where we get in the most trouble sometimes, it's not that we don't believe that God's going to judge the wicked. It's not that we don't believe that God is faithful. It's that we struggle with waiting on God. God, why aren't you doing anything about it now? God, I'm struggling with day after day of dealing with this problem, and week after week and year after year, we're still struggling with this problem. God, why aren't you doing anything about it? Wait a second. If God is going to judge the wicked, and God is faithful, then we need to wait on His timing. And when God does it, it's going to be complete. When God does it, it's going to be for His glory. When God does it, people are going to fear the name of God. Those who trust in the eternal God will understand the fleeting power of the wicked. There's one story I want to tell, and then we're done tonight. How many have ever heard of Voltaire? Maybe. Maybe one or two people. Maybe if you've heard the story. Okay, he was a French philosopher who, in the 1700s, I was the 1700s, excuse me, um, who was a blasphemer. He was an extreme critic of the Bible, he was a voluminous writer and he was even a playwright, and everything that he wrote was criticizing God, was slamming, uh, we would say today, uh, the Bible, anyone who would dare to believe in the foolishness and the stupidity and all of those things. He would sign all of his personal letters in French, translated to English, as crush the infamy or crush the Christian faith. Every one of his personal letters, he would sign that. Crush the Christian faith. That was his intent of his life. And in, it was said that in 1776, he made the statement, or something and in his writings, he basically made the statement, a hundred years after my death, people are going to throw away their Bibles and be reading my books. That the only Bibles that are going to be left are going to be historical relics. And you talk about someone who was... Um, with the use of their tongue and their pen, loved evil more than good, and was slanderous and like a sharp razor and was seeking to destroy people's faith. That was Voltaire. History, the evidence is there. You can look it up and study. History, 50 years after Voltaire's death, his personal chalet had been, was used by the Geneva Bible Society for the storing of Bibles and gospel tracts. I hadn't uh, heard this part of the story until I was doing a little more research. Voltaire had purchased these great rolls of the uh, great amounts of the best paper for a special edition of his works. And it was purchased by the Geneva Society and used to print Bibles. Bibles on the very printing presses that had been set aside for his work and that had been pouring off his blasphemy was being used now to print Bibles and gospel tracts everywhere. When, and but Voltaire's works are completely out of print from my understanding. Uh, you, they are collector's items. Nobody really reads Voltaire. He is forgotten by history other than as a remembrance of, look what God can do. Can I tell you this? We live in an evil society. There's evil people all around us. We deal with people who are boasting of their accomplishments and their sense of justice, how they're going to do justice and do wrong and uh, stand against God. God's judgment's going to come. God knows how to judge the wicked and deliver the godly out of the wicked. That's the book of 2 Peter. God knows how to deliver the wicked into his judgment and deliver the righteous out of the wicked. God's goodness never changes. So we can just wait on God. That's the best thing to do with the things that are going on in our society. We don't need to go out and hold protest. Now, we should use the voice that we have. Uh, We should uh, uh, stand for right. But continue serving God. And let God take care of the wicked. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. I pray that you would encourage our hearts with who you are. Lord, there's much that we see that we wish we could stop in in our society, in our own lives, and wish, Lord, maybe you would deal with it immediately. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to wait on you and to see you accomplish your plans in your time. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment. If you need to pray there at your seat, just give something over to the Lord. let take a moment of silence and just pray.